0: Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome to the show today. My guest is Dr. Benjamin Hardy, an organizational psychologist, successful entrepreneur, and listing these accomplishments are going to get me a little winded. So uh, hold on, people.
1: <laughs> you could probably cut it if you want.
0: <laughs> right there, no, I'm, I'm I'm going down. I'm going to, we're going to list all these things. It's pretty impressive. Um, he's a best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. His blog is read by millions of people monthly and has been featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, and Big Think, and many others, and adds priceless value to people's lives by helping them break free from the shackles of what is perceived as, permanent a permanent personality. His website gets hundreds of thousands of views monthly. From 2015 to 2018 he was the number one writer in the world on medium.com. His blogs have been viewed or been read by over a hundred million people and are published everywhere. He is a regular contributor to ink and psychology today and one of the most popular writers on medium. He speaks and trains at a wide range of events and is the and the best and most important part of his story is that in 2018, he and his wife Lauren adopted three kids from the foster system, and a month later, she found out she was pregnant with twins and gave birth to daughters. So basically, in your house, there's nothing going on, right?
1: Nothing. All right. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate <laughs>
0: you joining me today. Um, it's uh, we're here to you know talk about uh, your new book. Uh, Personality isn't permanent, but I wanted to kind of go a little further back first, and just kind of, you know, put on the throwback hat and how did, how did, how did you get to this point? Is this something you, have you always kind of thought like this, Were are you surrounded by family or friends that, that thought like this, or did this, this kind of a need you saw in the world? You know, there's a, there's a great quote from the movie robots, the animated movie. So, you know, find a need, fill a need. Has that kind of been your, your thing, or, you know, kind of give us a little story about the evolution.
1: Yeah, no, this has definitely not been like, like in high school, if I would have taken a personality test, which I think we all do. And they tell you like the types of careers that would be a good fit for you. I, I really, I think that honestly, when I took a personality test in high school, it told me I should be a plumber. I I, I literally think that that's what the test said. Oh, yes. um, but uh, no, this is definitely not, you know, there's not writers in my family. This has not been... Something that i I thought I would be um, at least up until about ten years ago, yeah, so I kind of grew up in a pretty rough situation, grew up in Utah, I guess where you're at, and you know was very religious, you know, part of the latter day saint church, and that was kind of a big part of our lives when my parents got divorced though when I was age eleven, it was like everything changed, my father became an extreme drug addict like religion ceased to be a part of our lives. And it was just kind of weird. Like it was just kind of, a, it was an interesting time. Uh basically through my whole junior high and high school years, our life just had zero foundation and my dad just got deeper and deeper into his drugs and depression. And yeah, you know, there's just kind of nothing, nothing to hold on to. But, uh, yeah, uh, basically after I got out of high school was playing video games all day at my cousin's house, not doing anything, just losing faith in the future or really like hope and joy. I, I recently read the book, Man Search for Meaning. I'm not sure if you've read that one. Yeah. Yeah, that book, I mean, I've read it many times, but it, it's so relevant. I mean, basically the big idea of the, I mean, there's many big ideas in the book, but the big idea for me in the book is, is that if you don't have a future that gives your life purpose, then you have no meaning in the present. And if you don't have meaning in the present, which can only exist by having a purposeful future, you know, if you're in the concentration camps, that means you're dead. But if if you're not, that just means you're existing. And that's kind of where I was. Like, I just didn't really have a future. But ultimately, I did decide to go on a church mission because I felt like that would be the best escape for me. And that is the experience that kind of got me into psychology, into learning, I journaled like a madman on that mission. You know, I filled stacks and stacks of journals, read, woke up early, read extra books. I mean, I just kind of like really got a lot out of that experience. And when I came home, it was just like, I'm going to never go back. And so I just studied psychology, kind of, you know, avoided the peer groups of my past and just kind of forged in the future. One thing I will say, I, 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 and journaling really is a big part of my process. And I actually think it's an incredibly important, you know, incredibly important way of reframing the past and also just continuing to tell the story of your future. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of research on future self that we could go into, but I've always been narrating my future ever since that experience, you know, so I'll go back and read blog. I mean, not blog posts. I'll go back and read journals from like seven or eight years ago. Cause I've been home for 10 years now, but and I'll read about the future I was creating, you know, and I'm still doing that. Um, and so to me, it's a continuous process now at this point of self-creation.
0: That is, that is so incredibly important and good. And I suck at it. And that's something I'm working on.
1: Um, <laughs> you, you can do it, dude. anyone yeah. yeah. well, no, can say, do it. <laughs> you know, uh,
0: changing the mindset is the hardest thing to do. I've experienced, um, I was, I was raised just to exist and to survive. And mm. even, even, I mean, I love my dad. Uh, yes, but it's, yes. str- it's a struggle to talk to him sometimes. Cause he said, just, just survive, son, just do what you got to do. And I'm like, dad, I am an expert in it. I am so tired of living that way. It sucks. And you die a little bit every day if you're in that position. And I don't have a horrible life and I never have, but it's just been bleh, meh, you know, mediocre, you know? And so, uh, where did you serve your mission? Pittsburgh, PA. Pittsburgh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's a foreign country, right?
1: (laughs) It was to me. I hadn't gone very far east. Spent, obviously, some good time in California and stuff like that, but never really done that.
0: Where did you grow up in Utah?
1: Salt Lake City. Okay. Cottonwood Heights area. Went to Cottonwood. Cottonwood High School.
0: Okay. Beautiful part of the world, for sure.
1: It is. It's gorgeous out there.
0: Um. Well, that's, yeah, that makes total sense. And, yeah, you know, I want to kind of dive into your, your book now because I, I've read the f- first chapter, and but just your, your title, The Personality Isn't Permanent, um, that rang so true to me. And because I have taken these goofy personality tests my whole life and I have always hated them, and I never could really articulate why. Uh, other than I just felt like this is just pigeonholing me into something that the society wants me to be, or my dad wants me to be, or my family, whatever. And they just never made. In fact, I just took one recently with my current employer. We all did a month ago, and it says some stupid things that don't resonate at all with me. And that's you know, that's what I loved about you know just your project and how it's going to shake up this world. And um, I wanted to just kind of poke around with these, like these tests, these personality tests that exist. Do you know the history? Like where, when did they come about? What was the intent behind some of those things? If you know that.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing it's important to realize, there are actually fairly good personality tests out there. Those tests though don't pigeonhole people into a single category. Um, categorical tests like Myers-Briggs, color code, enneagram, those types of tests, which are generally the more ones, um, they're just they're pseudoscience. It's it's overly simplistic. No no true psychologist or anyone who's been trained in psychology would ever uh, consider <laughs> consider that a useful way of looking at personality. Um, they are incredibly popular. They're not good science. And uh, they really do have negative impacts on people's identity. Ident- and really quickly, I'll just say identity and personality are two different things. Identity is kind of your self-concept, how you define and describe yourself, whereas personality is kind of how you consistently show up in the world. Um, and your, your, your self-concept, your identity is the thing that usually is driving your personality. Uh, and it should be the thing driving your personality. In other words, your identity is the thing that you really have a lot of control over and personality becomes the byproduct. Um, pers- you know. So to kind of break that down, like these tests, these tests give you a sense of identity, they give you a way to describe yourself, you know, you have a score, you know, you're a white, or you're yellow, or you're a INFJ. And that then becomes the way you describe yourself. A big problem with identity, though, is when it's taken too seriously like when you take your current identity and you you make it essentially solid rock like you're like this is who I am like when you're overly definitive about your identity a lot of problems come with that first you kind of seek to defend it because your identity is how you describe yourself and you're going to defend something that's a part of your identity you're not going to be open to feedback you're going to try to Confirm your bias, you know, so because you're describing yourself a certain way, you're going to do all that you can to prove that the label is correct. So you're going to probably set goals and, and, and do things to prove the label right rather than maybe prove the label wrong. Um, there's other research as well. This kind of be like maybe the last thing I point to. But, you know, Ellen Langer at Harvard, she studied how she's been studying mindfulness for the last 40 years. And mindfulness is essentially awareness of context and awareness of yourself and things like that and one of the biggest things that leads to mindlessness not being aware is labels um like if you've labeled yourself a certain way you become unaware of all the times when your label is actually inaccurate so like if someone describes themselves as depressed they actually think that they're always depressed but if you actually looked at their behavior and if you looked at their life and emotions Many times throughout a given day, they'll actually be happy, but they won't notice that because they only see through the lens of their label. They're mindless to all the times the label's not true. So there's, there's a lot of drawbacks, but kind of to put it all in a nutshell, these things create a fixed mindset. They lead you to being rigid and they stop you from learning and moving forward with your life. <laughs>
0: so what, what is it about humans? Why do we feel like we have to label things or, or label people? So uh, my theory is that well, if I put you in this box or this category, then I can understand you. But in reality, I don't think it does allow you to understand them. It just puts a label on them.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a simplistic way of cause and effect. You know, we, we give meaning to things and we, you know, I mean, there's certain things, obviously it's good to label, but people are a lot more dynamic than like, you know, I mean, I could say that my phone and my computer are two different things and I can put those into different categories people you can to some degree categorize, but people are more dynamic, people can change. Um, and when you label something, which maybe make makes it easier for yourself, maybe so you don't have to think about it too much. Like if you're labeling someone else, you don't have to go too deep there. If you're labeling yourself, then you can justify whatever's going on. It just, it, 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 it's, it's essentially lazy and it's sloppy. Um, but it forces you to not have to deal with it. Um, it forces you not to have to change. And so I think people as a rule, they don't really want to deal with change because it's easier hard to just, yeah, it is hard. And so I think the label allows things to stay the same and to have justification. And, you know, as an example, like, you know, we adopted three kids from the foster system and they come with their own set of challenges and, you know, but, I create just as much challenges as their past because of how I see them, you know? And so like, I'll, I'll, get mad at like our oldest son, Caleb, as an example, like if he's trying to get out of his work and I'll say, why are you always doing this? Like, why are you always trying to get out of your work? Cause maybe he's done that many a time in the past and maybe that's become a trigger for me. Maybe that's how I now see him. And luckily for me recently, I did that where I was like, why are you always doing this? And my wife was awesome enough to correct me and say, first off, don't talk to him like that. Like don't use the word always because it's not true. Second off, look at what he did this morning. He was actually being incredibly proactive, and actually he's been way, way, way better than he's been. Like look at the last few months. He's been doing amazing. He's grown a lot. And, and then I can take a peek and say, you know what? You're right. You've done a lot better lately, Caleb. Sorry for that. And so I think I think uh, you know it's good to become mindful and recognize growth when it occurs in other people, but also in yourself. Um, So I think that the label ends up just being useless. And when you look at, when you look at um, like research in psychology, there's a lot of really cool research that points to the idea that you really shouldn't, here's an example. Like where, where all of this goes now is, is your past, your current self, your your past, present, and future are three totally different things. Like I know you've kind of described yourself kind of in self-defeating ways, but. Would you say that you, you think you're exactly the same guy you were 10 years ago?
0: Oh, no. Of course not.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's kind of a simple key. I mean, I think that you're not the same person you were 10 years ago. You're a different person, and so you don't have to fully identify with your former self. You can empathize. You've been in that person's shoes, but you're not that person anymore. You see the world a little differently. You're not in the same situation. But that same principle has to go to the future that your future self is not the same person you are today. They're gonna to have a more mature perspective. They're gonna have a different perspective. And so as a result, there's no need to be so definitive about your current self. Um, that would actually stop you from, first off, creating a desired future self, but it would also stop you from becoming someone truly different. I mean, you'll become different in the future, but you can come, become very different if you stop defining your current self so strongly and instead start thinking about the person you wanna become.
0: That's, that's kind of interesting. I have a neighbor that, um, I, I'm, I, and I say this often, it's like I'm still trying to figure this person out. <laughs> and, and maybe, and I, like you said, it, it's lazy. It's easy. Okay, well, you're ex, so I don't have to put any more effort into that relationship because now I understand you. And, and I'm thinking the more I know this person, the more I'm just baffled and just trying to figure out, and maybe I don't have to figure this person out, you know
1: and yeah, maybe you don't. I mean, maybe you could just get to know them rather than trying to define them, you know, and, and just, uh, yeah appreciate just get to know
0: them. <laughs> yeah, just appreciate who they are and see the good in it, and you know that's yeah, exactly. Well, and
1: also at the same time, realize that even if you've seen a pattern for a long time. There's that pattern is just one thing you're seeing, and that this person has a totally interesting past that you aren't taking into account, and they have a future that you're also not taking into account. Um, like in the beginning of my book, I talk about, you know, how a personality test almost basically ended my marriage before it started, because I had a certain score on a personality test that defined me as a very passive, aloof individual and my, my essentially girlfriend at the time who became my wife, her parents were concerned about my personality score because my wife had come from an abusive marriage and she's a very kind of what, what some people would consider like a, a determined person, type A style. Um, that's at least how the test would score her. And so her parents thought because she'd been in a former abusive marriage that she wanted to date someone like me who was this passive aloof character because she was afraid of repeating the past. And so they were telling her, you shouldn't just marry some guy who's passive so that you don't put yourself in a situation where you can get hurt again. Um, But I thought that that was such a ridiculous perspective of me because they didn't know how much I'd already overcome, you know, my crazy background. They didn't know uh, how well I was doing in school and how uh, they didn't know the obstacles I'd overcome. They didn't know my future, which was from my perspective, huge and exciting and I was completely confident in it. Those tests in my single score gave no perspective of that. It was just, he's a white, you know, according to this personality test. Therefore, he's like all other whites. Therefore, he's a passive aloof dreamer who has no focus. And it's like, any real understanding of me as a person would not be that easily explained.
0: It's, it's almost offensive. In, in it, it is i mean i it.
1: just had to laugh at it i mean i was like if this is going to be the thing that's going to get between me and this person like that's ridiculous but it is offen- it is actually very offensive to look at people that way um it's incredibly offensive <laughs> from my perspective
0: because it's like you're well you're from that side of the track so you'll always be that because you know kind of like uh you know my wife's from england and she's you, you know the the, the the royal the class you know you're born into x and so that's where you'll always be and it's just constantly parroted and so that's where people think they should be and they're just stuck there it's yeah it's awful it's an awful it's almost a form of
1: abuse well it's, it's it comes from the exact same thinking as um essentially racism comes from i mean it's it's putting people in boxes and it's saying you guys are different and let's focus on the differences um and you know i was recently talking to someone who was a trainer in the um like disk assessment. He would go and train organizations because that's a popular one in business mm-hmm. culture. And he said he would take a group of people that was totally in a good form, like a group of let's just say 50 people who were all chatting close and stuff like that. This was before and then once they did the profiles, all of the people would organize according to the classification. And then they would, you know, the D's, which I don't really know too much about the test, but I guess the D's are really like on that test, like really leadership oriented. And so the people who got that score would really start holding themselves up differently than they were 10 minutes ago. And like the other people would kind of be less assertive. And it, all of a sudden the group dynamics just disappeared and like it was like class distinctions. Um and uh it's, so it's kind of I mean, obviously you try to live up to the label, and it's, I just think it's it's an interesting way to look at people, and it's just not effective. I mean, there's think about it this way if you're an organization the disc assessment or Myers-Briggs is not going to actually predict high performance. Like whatever your score is, 50,000, you know, 50 different people could get the same score and be very different people. You know, you could get five D's and one, you know, I'm just saying D on the disc and one of them could be like really great at their job. And the other four could be terrible at it. Like just because they answered a personality test one way doesn't mean you're actually going to predict anything specific.
0: I've often thought, you know, uh, in fact, recently when we took the test at uh, at my company, if I was to take it again in, you know, a day or two, how different it would be.
1: It would be different. That's one of the reasons why these are not valid and reliable scales is because you can totally, you, you probably would answer if you took it again, even a few days later.
0: Well, part of me is like, I feel like I'm being screwed with. So I'd probably answer differently on purpose
1: a hundred percent there's reasons why you answered it the way you did the first time and there'd be different reasons why you'd answer it the way the second time (laughs) and i would
0: always find myself picking apart every question like well well, this doesn't make sense and this isn't telling anything this isn't telling a story this is just a piece and it's like you 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 mentioned that they're you know they're no more scientific than horoscopes and entertainment value which they are they're very entertaining
1: yeah Um, they are
0: but yeah damaging my gosh um
1: I've stopped being entertained by them though. I <laughs> actually recently, uh, I had someone uh, ask me to redo the color code because that was the test that I talked about in my book. And I hadn't actually done it since like eight, nine, like maybe 10 years ago. And I, me and my wife redid it literally last week. And I was shocked at how terribly designed the test was. Like I, and I have, you know, I'm not trying to be rude. Like, but like the test was asking me to answer as if I was a child, like answer how I would handle each situation as a child. And that, you know, I actually asked a few of my my psychologist friends how they felt about it, and they all had big concerns about the structure of that test. But I didn't really know how to answer it, like, this time, because I'm like, I have no clue how I would handle these situations as a child. And is it me as a five-year-old? Is it me as a 10-year-old? Is it me as a 12-year-old? Like, I was a different person in all of those scenarios. And so, like, I had no clue to answer the test, but I just did it as truthfully as I could. And I came out a yellow on the test. My wife is like, you are not a yellow. <laughs> but like, it was just kind of funny because I was like, well, I think versions of me in the past were heavily this way. Um, and even sides of me are still now. So like, you know, it just, they just don't really work when you begin to think about people as more multi-layered and more contextual.
0: So basically leave them, leave them for uh, party party uh, entertainment value you know like at yeah. parties.
1: yeah use yeah and that could be fun <laughs> if you're trying to play a character like at a dinner party <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: exactly um what um i feel like there's so many things i want to ask you about this and i'm all over the place so maybe some of the the highlights of of and the importance of this project that you're working on what's
1: I mean, we can go wherever you want, man. I'm happy to go wherever, I man. I'm yeah. happy to share. I mean, I'm also happy to share, in my opinion, the pieces of the book that, from my perspective, are most important for people to hear. But I'm happy to go anywhere you want to go, man.
0: Yeah, let's... Well, I, let me I'm ask this question, you know, about the trauma, you know, trauma, you know, how does trauma negatively impact, you know, personality and limiting your future? I mean, can we, let's talk about that and then see where we go.
1: Sure. Trauma is huge. Um, it's important to realize that trauma is not just being, you know, abused, you know, going to war, like trauma can be as simple as someone telling you you're bad at math and you believe it. Like essentially trauma is anything that has a negative impact on how you see yourself in the world. You know, if there's so essentially something bad, something happened and you, you gave meaning to it. You had an, an, an a negative, um, a negative initial, Response, you know, it didn't feel good. And then you gave meaning to it and you didn't reframe that meaning. You chose that meaning and that meaning had impact on how you see yourself in the world. Um, and so, like, there's a really good book and it's actually the book that led me to writing Personality Is permanent. I read the book The Body Keeps the Score by Besser, Bessel Vander Kolk. And that book is kind of the definitive book on trauma at this point. But what Bessel talks about in his book which it's really thick and academic, but if anyone really wants to go deeper into the subject, I highly recommend that book. Um, He talks about how trauma freezes your personality. Essentially, you get stuck in the past, emotionally speaking, and you're defined by the past and everything you do is tainted by the past. And essentially you stop emotionally developing as a person from that point forward, unless you choose to reframe it, which is an emotional process in and of itself um but trauma shatters your flexibility as a person your ability to handle your emotions healthily it shrinks your comfort zone it shatters your hope in the future it shatters your you know your imagination and imagination flexibility hope those are all like crucial elements of learning um and so this it stops you from learning and progressing and essentially you're defined by by the past in the story of a a distant relative of mine who is a brilliant woman um and you know this is someone who's gone to ivy league schools genius writer and for years decades actually because now she's in her like late 80s but for decades she's always wanted to write and illustrate children's books and about 40 or 50 years ago when she was i think in her 30s or 40s she took a private art lesson and in that private art lesson, and there was like maybe five or six other people in the room, but the teacher corrected her publicly in this one incident. Like they were doing, they were doing, you know, some, some exercise on easel pads. And the teacher didn't like what he saw or something like that on this person I'm describing's pad. And so he took her, you know, pencil or marker or whatever and was kind of writing over, correcting it. Well, during maybe the 30 to 60 seconds that this correction was happening, this distant relative of mine was feeling incredibly embarrassed because everyone else was watching and she didn't feel like he had corrected anyone else in this form or fashion. And so during the emotional situation that this was for her, she formed a narrative in her mind. And that narrative was, I must not be very good at this. And so as a result, she didn't go back. And so in psychology, we call that a cognitive commitment. Essentially, a cognitive commitment is a belief statement that you create in the moment based on what you're feeling. And so as a result, she never went back and she was defined by that experience and continues to be defined by that experience. And 40 years later, she wishes she could still do children's books, but she genuinely believes she's not good at drawing. Um, And she points to that experience. She can remember it. I mean, you know, it's a pivotal experience if you can remember it. The key to this whole idea, though, of trauma is that that was not a meaning she had to assign to that experience. That was the meaning she did assign to that experience. And in order to reframe trauma, you have to reassign meaning. You have to reshape what that experience meant. Um, You don't, you know, rather than being defined by how you initially felt, you can choose how you want to feel about it. And so there's a lot more to go into it, but that's kind of a good base to start you off with.
0: What, what about traumas that may occur, you know, when someone's too young to recall or, you know, for example, I I lost my birth mother very, very young. I have no memory of her. Um, My wife's been working in a residential treatment center for boys for 10 years. And she is convinced that a lot of my challenges are because of, Losing my mother at such a young age, yet I have no recollection of her. So, is is, do all these things that you just said apply to something like that?
1: I think so. I think we're all impacted by things that we're not aware of, and I think being open to the possibility is the first step. Um, Being, you know, if you've got challenges, as an example, where there's areas of your life where you're not showing up how you would like to, or if where you just keep seeing patterns, or if you keep seeing, you know yourself get in your own way rather than being closed to that possibility. Why not be open to it? I mean, at the end of the day, you may not find every, you know, every ghost in the closet. And I don't actually think that's the goal. Uh, I think the goal is to recognize that right now there, there are ways that you're showing up and it's possible that it could be because your mom left you. And if you want to go down that alley, you can. Um, But in any case, there are things that are occurring in your life um, that aren't exactly how you want them to be. Therefore, it's worth addressing them and moving forward. Uh, I think for you, I would be more interested in defining your future self, defining the person you want to become, and thinking about your past in terms of what are the explanations you've had about your past? that you are using to explain your current self. And those are the ones that you need to reframe. You know, basically you need to remove all excuses for your behavior. And the only way you can do that is, is reshaping the meaning of the of the of the excuses that you've given your former self or your current self. Like and I'm not dis- I'm not saying that negative events didn't happen. I'm not saying that your mom passed didn't did you say she passed away? Yes. Yeah, so I'm not saying that that event didn't occur. I'm saying if that is a reason that you've had challenges either in your past or present you can stop giving that the reason you can stop giving that the control um you can instead you can be open about it you can say this this thing occurred and I think that because of how I felt about that I think it's led me to doing something but I'm I'm no longer going to give it that meaning instead I'm going to choose I'm going to choose to take a different form of action. <laughs> you know, like I think it. I think it's just re, re, it's it's removing the responsibility of the past, and it's giving a, it's giving a different meaning to it, and it's putting a responsibility towards you in the future. Does that make sense? I
0: think so. Yeah. So, okay. it, it, <laughs> is, is if one wants to succeed on a massive level, do do they have to go and figure out all the you know, I don't you know, think you ever will. Out of things, or I think, can yeah. they just say? Can I just say, piss on it? I don't care. It's a, none of that. It's in the past. None of that matters. I don't need to figure it out. And maybe you just said that in a way I didn't understand. But I'm gonna move forward, and I don't care anymore. I'm not gonna dig it up. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna throw away all my old memories, and just move on and be whatever I want to be.
1: I don't think you have to throw it away. I think that I think it's good to be open to it, but it's also important to realize that the past is a fiction. The past is a story that you're telling. It's a subjective perspective. It's a meaning. Um, you have no clue, actually. It's a story. It's a story, one way or another. If you're, you know, and I'm not saying that your wife's descriptions are incorrect because I think that there's a lot to that. You know, I think that there's meanings that you've given, you know, or or feelings you've had based on maybe the loss of a parent, which would be a huge thing to deal with, maybe even if you didn't really think about how you were dealing with it. So I'm not saying that, in other words, what you said is, I think, 80% right. I think at the end of the day, the thing that matters most is creating a a purpose for yourself in the future and moving forward and not being defined by the past, not being, you know, basically in psychology. And I don't think that this is the way that you want to go but from a research perspective, it's the way that people often go. One of the number one kind of theories in psychology is that the best way to predict a person's future behavior is by looking at their past behavior. Now that there's some truth there, but you have to then peel the layers and say, first off, me as a person who wants to continue to grow and develop, I don't want that to be true for me. Um, it's not, it's not saying that that's required. Your past isn't causing you to be a certain way. You're, and, you do, and if you're someone who's serious about moving forward in your life and creating success or in creating whatever circumstances you want and, and letting go of the past, the only way to do that is to have your future be the thing that's predicting your behavior, not your past be the thing that's predicting your behavior. And the only way for that to occur is for you to define your future. Uh, it's not something you discover. It's something you define and decide. Who is the person you want to be? then you need to be serious enough about that to let go of the former narrative, let go of the former explanations and instead, you know, describe yourself in future terms, describe yourself based on the person you want to be and also acknowledge that up to this point you haven't been being that person. And you can even say, in the past I've had these explanations of myself in the past I've had these stories, but I'm not really going to let these things shape me anymore this is the person I'm wanting to become and I'm going to start moving in that direction Um, and just committing to the future. And and really you can then increase that commitment dramatically in different ways. You know, you remove the influences as one example that are keeping you where you're at. You change your environment, you change your inputs. uh, You start investing in your future goals. You start investing maybe in new environments, new networks, new information. Uh, you get an accountability partner. You get therapy. You know, like your your commitment level to your future is up to you. But the more you co- get committed to it, the more that will become how you see yourself. The less you'll start defining yourself by the past. And if you're if you're working towards goals, then generally your daily behavior is being pulled forward. It's not just a repeat of yesterday because you're on autopilot. Like you're literally. As for myself, even like I have future goals, and. Those are the things that are guiding my daily behavior, not my past identities or my former self.
0: That's an interesting perspective in that just recently I was, you know, going through some of our old, my old memory books and, you know, stuff from, you know, awards and things I'd won in high school and pictures. And, and, and I had this thought like, I just want to dump all this I literally just get rid of, I don't want to keep any of it because I don't care and I almost feel like I'm betraying my past. And is that a normal thing that people do? Um, because I don't, I don't, it doesn't.
1: I would love you to explain that more because I think it's a really interesting idea. Tell me more about what, what it would, like why it feels like betraying the past.
0: Well, I, I, I don't know because maybe because we, we hang on to our memories so long and our, our things and things that remind us of, you know, when you're a little kid and when you're high school and high school is so, such a paramount time in our life for some weird reason um, but yet I don't, it was enjoyable, but I don't care anymore. Cause it's so far, you know, it's 30 years ago.
1: Is there um, any positive reason why you would keep it? Uh,
0: it's entertaining. I get. I don't know. It's entertaining.
1: Nostalgia. Maybe. Yeah. No- will, nostalgia, well, yeah but that, the, the nostalgia can keep you stuck.
0: Yes. And that's kind of what I felt like it was keeping me stuck because we got boxes and boxes of all this my I would talk to jersey. your wife about
1: it because like I mean if, if people like if your kids for some reason or another want that nostalgia that family history maybe that could just be like some history. but I think a lot of it you could probably get rid of maybe like the jersey you could keep you know there's certain elements or certain artifacts that may be worth keeping but there may be huge aspects of it that you want to dump because you no longer want that to be you know an aspect of your identity you know you don't want that to be something you continue to carry forward as a continual reminder of who you were. Yeah. Um, I don't keep a lot from my past, you know, like I have my journals. Um, but I, I, I find, and I think that this is true. If someone's wanting to make a change often like they'll get it like a new hairstyle, you know, like, they'll, you know, like, but like, it's good to kind of like get a new wardrobe, but you don't keep the old one. You throw the old clothes away, you know, like, And so I think that there's some benefit in keeping some artifacts, but probably most of them should be removed and forgotten. Um, That's my take. You know, I have, for example, my dad, who he just keeps old pictures and in many old things and he just lives in his memories. And um, you know, I'm like, you should just sell that house and get rid of all that stuff so that you can actually finally move forward in your life. Like, create a new future, create a new persona, like stop being stuck in your mistakes or in your former relationships or in your past, like bring the stuff with you that, you know, you want to remember. Like, you know, he went on a mission to Korea as an example. And he's got like a few cool Korean things. And like, bring those with you if you like want that to be a part of your future. But there's so many other things that like are just heaped in memory that are memories that you don't really even want to be dealing with um i mean you can choose to reframe them but certain artifacts or just things they you're better off just letting it go getting rid of it and and maybe you know people have ceremonies obviously where they burn old stuff where you can just you don't have to be so ceremonial about it um you know Uh, you can just toss it, you know, and just say, I'm moving forward. And then you make the future really the thing you're continuing to focus on the person you want to be in your relationships, and the person you want to be in the things that matter. Uh, What you know, like, I don't have to be the guy I was yesterday. You know, like, I, I'm trying to be a lot more present, for example, to my five kids, like when I get home from work, I don't, I don't need to just be inattentive because yesterday I was inattentive and tired. Like today I want to be a lot better. And so like, I I don't want to be stuck in the past. I don't know if any of this is helping.
0: No, it totally, it totally is and It's like, it's like mental and physical hoarding, you know, to (laughs) something.
1: Yeah. You don't, you don't want to deal with that decision fatigue. I mean, you you don't want to clog up your brain with stuff that's keeping you literally incapacitated to moving forward. Agreed. Why would you Agreed. fill your brain and emotion with stuff that's literally holding your whole life on the brakes?
0: Because it's easy.
1: It is. It, like, it, there's know. a lot of uh, pleasure in nostalgia. It's comforting, it, but it's yes. comforting because it doesn't require you to do anything. Yeah, it's
0: yeah, it's a mental pacifier, is what it is. Um, uh <clears throat> thank. You. That's that's been awesome. And I didn't I'd be interested
1: to to see what you get rid of. (laughs) I would be interested to see what you let go of. I talked to your wife about it, but I think you could have a great experience letting go of a lot of this stuff. And even the stories that you've told about yourself, you know, and I think that we all have to do that. I mean, I have to do that today. Uh, There's no time in anyone's life where that occurrence stops happening.
0: Right. Very true. Well, I appreciate the, uh, the personal counseling session that I just got. I don't think that was my intention, but, uh, (laughs) But so, so let's, let's do, you know, we mentioned a part of the, you know, your, your book as, as we, you know, kind of come to a close here. That's, what is the, you know, kind of the biggest thing that you want people to take away from this new project of yours? Because I can't wait to read it.
1: Awesome, dude. Well, you should have it in your inbox. So I'm stoked for you to, to read it. You're going to love it. Um, well, I think that it's kind of going to this idea that your, your former self is not the person you are today. You don't need to define yourself by your former self. You're a different person. You see the world differently. You're, you have a higher level of maturity. You've had experiences your former self didn't have. You can make decisions your former self couldn't have made. Um, So you don't need to, you can be empathetic towards who you were in the past and also recognize that you're a different person. And so you don't have to overly identify with your former self. You can just see them as if they were a different person because they were a different person. Future self, same thing. It's essential to make the decision to clarify who you want to be in the future and then to continuously do that on a daily basis. I'm a huge believer in morning routines and morning journaling and writing about your goals and writing about your future self and taking active steps daily towards those. That's how you build confidence. Um, That's how you begin to believe in your future self and then begin to set bigger and better goals for yourself and be able to create the life you want versus watching life happen. Um, You can get very good at setting intentions and moving in that direction, even though it's difficult. You get better at handling that. Um, That's called confidence. It could be called psychological flexibility, but it's it's the ability to handle bigger and bigger challenges because you can commit yourself to future goals and move forward. Um, And I think that that's a process of of deciding who you want to be the number one regret that people have on their deathbed is that is that they didn't have the courage to be the person that they wanted to be instead they lived up to the expectations of those around them people have a big need to be viewed as consistent and we get locked into roles where we've been the same person for so long that we just it's difficult or embarrassing or what not to be someone new, to begin moving in that courageous direction towards the person you wanna be. So I would say once you've defined your future self, which is a constant process, the future self I'm pursuing right now is different from the future self I was pursuing two or three years ago. I mean, it's a refining drafting process, just like you would draft a book. The future self I'm pursuing in a year or two will probably be a little different because I'll be in a new place. And so it's not like the process ever stops. Um, But when you do, when you decide the person you want to become, and I wouldn't go too, too far out, maybe a year to three years, various changes. Then it takes the courage to start telling people about those changes you want to make and the person you want to become. Think about it like if you're an addict and you're ready to let it go, you got to start telling everyone that you're ready to let this thing go and that you've had this challenge in the past, but that you want people's support because it's the person you're wanting to become the people in your life who discourage you from making that change are obviously people who don't want you to make that change. They're people who want you to stay the person you are that for their own reasons, not for your reasons, but for their reasons. And those are probably the people that you need to distance yourself with to some degree. Maybe if it has something to do with an extreme addiction or something, you have to probably completely distance yourself. but I think the courage to tell people about the person you want to become and making that your new story and then taking active steps in that direction and being not so attached to wins and losses along the way, but being committed to the ultimate goal, like not being attached to whatever happens today. Just, okay. I didn't quite do as well as I could today. Tomorrow I'm going to do better. Like, I like the idea, expect everything attached to nothing. You know, you don't attach to the results along the way, but that doesn't mean you're, you have to be committed to the ultimate goal. Um, Even if that's just two years out, three years out. Uh, I think that that's kind of the key for people is that the future self actually, who you want to be in the future actually matters more than who you are today. Who you are today doesn't matter as much. Um, And who you want to be, that's what really matters more. Like there's a really good book called It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be. Um, and it's, I think that that's really what matters. It doesn't matter where you are right now. It matters where you want to go. And it matters if you're committed to getting there and let your future self literally be the person that guides your daily behavior. There's actually a lot of research out of UCLA by a guy named Hal Hirschfeld. I'll give you the link if you want. But he talks about how when you see your future self as a different person, you can make better choices today. And I've used that. Like when I go home from work sometimes and I'm fried. And I don't want to play with my kids because I just want to sit and veg out and stare at my phone because I'm tired. You know, a couple days ago, like my son was like, "Let's go swimming, Dad," and I was like, "I'm just gonna watch you." And then I thought, well, what would my future self do? Or like, how would my future self want to remember this? If I was watching this in five years in the future, (laughs) how would I feel if I was just watching myself sit there while my son was begging me to swim? Yeah, you wouldn't. So your future self, no. So your future self can. It's better to make decisions that your future self would prefer then your current self would prefer because your current self is being impacted by so many other variables your exhaustion etc your feelings for the moment and if you're always doing things based on your current preferences then you're going to always be living within your comfort zone
0: something that stuck out to me you know about 3 or 4 minutes ago is is the people don't want to be seen as inconsistent what is 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 that from You know, the fact that we think, oh, that person's inconsistent as a negative, like they're wishy-washy. They can't make up their mind. They're not reliable. Exactly. Is that what that is? Okay.
1: That's our own interpretation. But yeah, we think that being viewed as inconsistent means that we're not reliable or stable. You know, people have this need to be consistent. So there's all sorts of research about how like... You know, if you're like a door to door salesperson, you, you try to get someone to say yes, because if they say yes, then they need to keep saying yes in order to be viewed as consistent. So you get people to make micro commitments, you know, like there's ways to manipulate it in a marketing perspective, but from just like a normal perspective, yeah, people have this need to hold up, be, you know, hold themselves up to their persona or to the role. Like, you know, it can feel awkward to do anything different because you just think, well, you know, it would be weird if I, you know, like, just think about it. Think about a husband as an example who like maybe hasn't been that romantic for years, you know, like he may be ashamed to go and buy his wife flowers because he might be like, well, maybe he, he'll start to then overanalyze his behavior um, rather than just doing what he wants. Like, because he's like, well, I just need to keep being who I've been. Like, we we just have this, It, it just it's just a comfort zone, you know? It's it, yeah, it's easy. But... It's a lot better just to be in open communication and just say, look, I get that this is how things have been, but I actually really want to do this. I'm not going to be perfect at it. I'd love your support, but like, this is who I want to be. And then you just be more flexible so that you're not as rigid in how you behave and not so locked into the role or persona of what, was, what has been. And so, yeah, I, I think that giving up the need for consistency, I didn't. I ended up throwing this section out of the book. But I have a big section in the book on letting go of the need for consistency. And, you know, I actually threw that section of the book, but I still talk about, um, you know, that we do have a need for consistency as people. And when you stop being so consistent to the past, what that requires is that you have to deal with uncertainty. Um, when you make choices, all choices involve uncertainty. You can't predict everything that's going to happen. And life gets a lot better when you stop living such a predictable way and when you start kind of living more by faith and by choice and then figuring out how to make it work and so if you can start to be better at dealing with uncertainty then you have a lot more options you can make more choices because you can you can then deal with the uncertainty and that's how you actually become confident and flexible as a person um that's how you grow you know it's you stepping out of how you've been and trying to be someone you want to be and getting better at handling the unknowns and, and then learning how to deal with them. If you can't deal with unknowns, then is all you can do is what you know. And that can become a really small way of being.
0: Amen, brother. I got no arguments here. Um, any, uh, any final thoughts or, or, or maybe a question I, I should have asked, but didn't that you want people to know? And then no, the-
1: not really. I think just uh, anyone who wants to go deeper into the book, the books has about 150 journal prompts as far as how to reframe former experiences. Memory is very fluid. Your past is a fiction in many ways, or at least how you view it is just, it's a, it's a, it's a perspective. And there are ways to reframe negative experiences. There's ways, you know, and then there's plenty of prompts about finding your future self and just, you know, activities for moving you in that direction it's a it's, it's not a workbook by any by any manner but you can definitely use it that way if you want to um but yeah you can learn more about it at benjaminhardy.com obviously all my blog posts are there and there's free resources three free online courses going deeper into the book going into journaling exercises and also if anyone's didn't content creation i give away uh, a full out journaling or sorry a blogging course it was actually a full day event that i did um give away a lot of stuff for people who buy the book and you can kind of learn about all that stuff at com.
0: man thank you so much this has been beyond awesome and i feel like i could just we could just chat for hours and um but that would be i, I would get a little lazy and comf- comfortable so i just need to step out and start doing some of these things i'm talking about
1: <laughs> you're awesome dude i'm interested to see what you end up doing as far as letting go of elements of the past and also becoming very decisive and committed to a future and open about that future um, to the people who matter most to you. It'd be really yep. interesting to have a follow up.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll do, I'll, I'll let you know, I have some ideas on what I'm wanting to get a, get rid of. So I'll, I'll let you know what those are.
1: That'd be rad, dude. Well, Brian, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks yeah. for letting me be on your show.
0: Yeah. Anytime. Thanks so much, sir.
1: See you, sir. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya.
0: Thank you again for listening to The Parish The Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us.